Our Lord and Heavenly Father, pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to not only receive your word, but by your spirit to know how to respond to your word. We, your prodigal sons and daughters, your elder sons and daughters. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So just a, a quick question for you before we kind of really get into it. Which, which son in this story of the prodigal sons, which son, the prodigal or the elder, do you identify with most? Do you have a, a son? Have you thought about this before? Like, which, which one are you in this duo? Um, the philandering one, you know, who crawls back to his father and and begging for even just the scraps from his father's table, or the, or the allegiant elder son, the upright one, who calls out what he sees as an injustice of the father's grace. So let me just say on that too, um, you know, this, this is the story of two sons. There are two people within this story that are, are of relatable circumstance and, and, and situation often to us, despite the title, The Prodigal Son, it isn't merely the story of a wayward son. It's, it's the, the story of two, two wayward sons, both in need of the father's love. But the question is, with whom do you identify most? So while you're considering the answer to that question, I have to share with you that I, I frankly have a hard time with this parable. It challenges me. It's just, it's like a knife that kind of, you know, fillets my heart wide open so that, you know, among other things, the bitterness that I still hold inside for people becomes apparent. Um, I don't like to admit that. You know, some of you are like, no, sweet Gabe, no. <laughs> yeah. I've got claws under this, these vestments. And... <laughs> And while I've, I've never known what it is to have a sibling, I am the elder brother in that way. I know I've known people who have wronged me, and so it's a point of frustration for me um, in particular that this father here in this parable welcomes this, the younger son back without reservation. He welcomes him back without hesitation. And if you're the elder son too, the implications of that are pretty astounding because not only did this younger son take off with his inheritance, a slap in the face to, and a, slap in the face to a father who was still alive, it, it was essentially him saying, I wish you were dead so that I could have what's due me. Not only that, but he goes and he squanders it, shamefully squanders it. And he comes back and the father restores him to the family, meaning he's given back the inheritance, his rights to inheritance. Do you hear that? This is unbelievable for the elder son. And he looks into their home at this celebration, and I just imagine that the sound of it offends his ears, and the smell of it makes him nauseous as it mixes with his anger and his gut. And he says to his father, I have done everything right. And you've given me nothing the likes of this. How about you? Or any of you feeling the frustration of the elder son? Tim Keller addressed this parable in his book, The Prodigal God. 
And he said this about the elder son. He said, if like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. You know, I realized as I, I read and reread this parable last week that not everything that I call an injustice actually is one. Personally offensive, sure, but an injustice? We often mischaracterize people and situations out of our own narrow perspective and vision, don't we? My guess is that if we could have asked him, this elder son would have had a really clear idea of what should have happened with his younger brother, right? He would, there would have been no doubt for him how that should have gone down, and it wouldn't have involved a celebration or welcome. See, self-righteousness and judgment are easy. I can do that in my sleep. But really and truly trusting the justice of God? Mm. Proverbs 21.15 says, When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous. And that challenges me. Is there joy? You see, the father answers. And let, let me note here that the father, this, this master of the home, this master of the ceremony, the head of the celebration going on, he stops what he's doing within the celebration and he, he goes outside to his son, his angry son. This was an act of grace in itself. And he says, technon, which is the Greek word for child. And in the, the vocative case here, it, it emphasized their relationship. It effectively meant my child. It was him addressing, looking, fully in the eyes at his elder son, my child. You are always with me, he said, and all that is mine is yours. And I realized for the first time that I, I read this parable, probably out of the dozens and dozens of times that I've studied this, I, I realized he's not trying to reason with his son here. He isn't placating him. This isn't like he's, he's a parental, oh, you know better than that. But he's actually doing something really profound and beautiful. He's telling the elder son his story. The elder son said, you never gave me the fattened calf. And the father says, no, that's not your story. But this is, you've always been here with and all that is mine is yours. There's this beautiful line that, that reoccurs in the Narnia series. Um, check one for another Narnia reference in, in Gabe's sermons. Uh, in the Narnia series, at, at least twice that I, I can remember, um, probably more, but in which Aslan, this father figure, this Christ figure, uh, in, in the series is speaking with another character in these instances, and he's speaking with them about a choice, about something that, that they have done or have, have decided and something that happened in their life. And in the course of these conversations, the characters, they turn and they ask Aslan, well, what about this other person? 
What about them? What happened to them? What, what did you end up doing with them? And Aslan always responds, I'm telling you your story. No one has told any story but their own. And I, I just want to suggest that we need God to retell us some of the stories that we've been telling wrongly for a long time, our story. You and I have stories about ourselves. We certainly have stories about others, but we've got stories about ourselves that aren't the truest version. And it's perhaps the very beginning of our healing and our reconciliation with others when we allow the Father to tell us what is right and what is true. Henry Nouwen said that the joy at the dramatic return of the younger son in no way means that the elder son was less loved, less appreciated, less favored. The father does not compare the two sons. He loves them both with a complete love and expresses that love according to their individual journeys. But we don't like that, do we? No, because in our sin... We like to use others' lives as the measuring sticks for our own. Isn't it funny how we complicate things that way? How we strive to be people of mercy and forgiveness, but how often we turn around and we write in our own fine print. Here are the conditions, right? Here are the boundaries and the barriers to that. And, and Often we Christians impose those on God as if we're better arbiters of the mercy and forgiveness and grace than he is. My guess is that I'm not the only one in here whose anger has actually even turned against God. When someone who has harmed me not only gets away with it, but seems to just continue to relish in blessings. It's like, what are you doing, God? Don't you know who they are? Don't you know what they did? And in our anger and bitterness, we cry out injustice, don't we? Injustice. And yet, our prodigal father, in God's forgiveness and grace, he cries out, welcome. In our anger and bitterness, we lock others away in our own prisons of unforgiveness, and then we have to stand there and guard the cell, but what we fail to consider is that Christ is in the prison with them. As the, the staff kind of stood around and, and water-coolered this passage last week, as we, we sometimes do, Father Mark pointed to the fact that both sons in this parable addressed their father with great imperfection. They came imperfectly. The younger son came crawling back, but his interaction with his father was, was sort of tinged with his own self-preservation. You know, he was hungry before he was ashamed. The elder son dishonored his father by not only refusing to come into the celebration, but when he addressed him, he did so with a sort of sharp interjection. We don't really get it as much in our translations, but in the Greek, it wasn't this respectful, my father or dear father, but there was a fire beneath it. And it was as if he was putting his finger in his dad's chest. And he said, look, you, imperfection. The younger son, he, he, he comes with a rehearsed speech, which makes you wonder at the sincerity of his return. The older son in this culture, it's interesting to note that, that the older son would typically have been 
the mediator for reconciliation between a father and his other children. And yet here is the older son in need of mediation. He seems to indicate the very opposite of reconciliation here. He doesn't, he doesn't want the father and the younger son to reconcile. He wants something else, something darker maybe, something that falls outside of the good character of the father, imperfection. Two wounded children, two wounded boys, each interacting in their own imperfect ways, both sons approaching the father imperfectly out of their own selfish reasons, and yet, the Father displays to both a beautiful and perfect love. With which son do you identify with most? The truth is that we're both. These sons were both. In telling this parable, Jesus was saying something to the Pharisees who were these clean and morally upright people on the outside, but they couldn't see the spiritual filth that infested their inside. They were prodigal and they were elder. And without Christ, we are too. There's a, a deep and lasting joy that can be found when we realize that our greatest imperfections won't keep us from the Father's perfect love. But that realization doesn't come easily. And part of this Lenten journey um, is to lead us there. It's to lead us to failure. It's to lead us to see that we cannot be spiritual enough. We can't be faithful enough. We can't come with enough rehearsed speech or we can't have calloused enough hands from the work that we've done. We, we can't fast enough or pray enough or read the Bible enough. We can't, we can't make ourselves into people that are somehow more deserving of God's goodness and grace and mercy and love. But in our despairing brokenness, Right in our inability, in the imperfect ways that we come, he says these words over us. He says these words to we, his, his prodigal sons and daughters, his elder sons and daughters. It is enough that you are here. All that is mine is yours. Come and join me in the celebration. And end with another quote from Henry Nouwen. He said, now I, I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by him? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. And not that Henry needs any help, but I would add, God is also stepping just outside of the celebration to us, inviting us in, hard hearts and all, to dine at the table with him. So may we be people of great mercy and love, forgiving one another and not holding faults and sins against our brothers and sisters. And may we trust the goodness of the Father and enter into the feast of his love with glad hearts. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit.